Hi everyone, we just wanted to leave a little bit of a content warning at the beginning of this final episode on Buffy. There are some topics that we will be addressing that will be a bit of a triggering for some people, so we just want to kind of give you a heads up, trigger warnings ahead. Welcome, witches and ghouls. We are pleased to say that we are now a part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network and family. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials, and more. Morbidly Beautiful supports everyone in the horror community, from special effects artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks, and so much more. We are so happy to be part of the spooky team. Please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more. And now, on with the show. I spit on your podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spencers of Horror. This is a time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody knitting needles and I step away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In this episode, we are taking a final visit to Sunnydale as we look at the end of the show, our feminist icon, the Slayer, and the discussion on bad boys with a look at the baddest boy of them all, Spike. So pick your poison and listen on, if you dare. Life's a show, and we all play our parts. All right, folks, so we are ending our exploration into Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show with looks at season six and seven. So Yes. <sighs> I've been crying all month long. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So after the devastating loss of, of Buffy at the season five finale, The Gift, way back in the day, I wasn't sure if I was ready to jump back into the show. It uh, was very heartbreaking. You know, if you can imagine seeing this all in real time, I was devastated and beyond heartbroken. Uh, but mm. I was really glad that UPN actually ended up picking up Buffy the show and we got another two seasons of what obviously became and is my favorite show of all time. Yeah, and for myself, like I said, I started watching Buffy at the age of 30, so obviously at that time, all seven seasons would would have been out. <laughs> so I would have just been like, okay, season six and seven is the natural conclusion. However, I will say that when I did watch up to the end of season five and with the last episode being the gift, to me, that made sense that, the, that it would end there. And that's when Kelly explained to me, oh yes, that was supposed to be the original ending for the series. So so I thought it was really interesting to see where they went with season six and seven after that. Cause like, really, how could you go bigger than how the gift, right? Like how mm-hmm. could you end that series on a bigger note? Yeah. You've killed your main character whose name is the show name. Yeah. <laughs> so right? where can you go from there? And I was skeptical too. It's like, what are they, how are they going to do this? Obviously Buffy's going to come back to life. They're going to resurrect her. Like I get that, mm-hmm. but where are we going to go? What is that going to do? Where is it going to lead? How is that going to affect Buffy? And what is going to happen? So again, watching this in real time, it was going back in time now. It was uh, pretty mind blowing and very emotional and crazy. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and like you said, you would have had been like wait like week after yep. week, right? Like yep. finish that, and then you have to like wait until next Friday when oh, it's back on. Jesus. You're literally dying inside because you just want to know. Whereas I was able just to binge watch it, which I did, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> it was such a different time then, and like the shows would go by so quickly, and the commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, oh, oh no, <laughs> commercial breaks, and then like the episode would be done after an hour, but it's like 42, 43 minutes. You're like, are you kidding me? So it was definitely tragic. The struggle was truly real way back when. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Okay, so speaking of season six and seven, what are your likes? Um, Well, in general, both seasons, they definitely touch upon some darker themes. As an adult, I definitely related to that. So I think for season six and seven, I really related to a lot more of the themes that were happening because I wasn't a teenager anymore. So Mm -hmm. some of the things that Buffy was experiencing for the first time it was like yeah I remember that I finally remember that but watching it as an adult woman now it's just like yep yeah <laughs> you're, you know yes Buffy the economy sucks and now you have to get a real job like everyone else like <laughs> you know and then also watching her go through that that identity changes so I feel like in season six and seven combined we get a lot of huge character development we got that a lot in season five obviously like throughout season and throughout the entire season but you see more of the complexities of these characters and the relationships and it gets really interesting and I that's for me where I I was like okay that's why like I was really on to like six and seven really enjoyed them yeah for me generally speaking yes I'm with you on the character developments they go to some really intense dark wonderful wonderful interesting empowering places and that's just like generally Mm -hmm. between six and seven the story arcs for the characters yeah, yeah man Joss Whedon does just an incredible job and I get to talk about this all the time over at the ne- <laughs> over at the Nevers podcast and the writing that I That's do for true, them yeah. so I'm deep in Joss Whedon interesting yeah, you're in the world I'm deep yeah. into Joss Whedon all the time <laughs> oh goodness I'm deep, oh, I'm goodness. deep in the Whedon verse often so that that's fine with me you guys are the Whedon experts. Yep. I was a little intimidated when I guess when I was on the most recent episode <laughs> that will be out at some point soon. <laughs> you fit in just nicely. It's totally fine. Oh, good. So up, you know, now that we're at, let's say, like season six, the show was doing everything right in my eyes. Everybody like we knew what the show was about. We knew who these characters were or we thought. And, you know, season six was another really dark season. I think like season two, it takes yeah. it to even more surprising places and the act was always fantastic but I feel like we really see the acting chops of all of our actors uh, during season six into season seven incredibly definitely season six yeah yeah obviously the fight choreography is awesome the music the editing the art direction everything about this show is is brilliant to me but uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar as the first watching that re-watching that I was like you are so wonderful as like this evil pure yeah it's like demonic almost this like puritanical creature and she was so great because a lot of the time that's what the first takes its you know form in generally so she was so good I love that Sarah Michelle Gellar is a wonderful actress and I think I I miss her very much miss her a lot yeah in in shows and movies Nathan Fillion as Caleb oh my gosh oh Goodness gracious. Uh, yeah, yeah. I won't, 
I won't jump into that yet. <laughs> but like just Nathan, having Nathan Philly on there in anything yeah. ever, he should be in everything always. I love one of the Joss Whedon saying is reusing, recycling a lot of the similar like Whedon verse actors. So I love seeing alumni and a lot of different things because they're fantastic. Joss Whedon can give them a lot of different types of roles. The Uber van, so the Turrican, are my favorite creature design. So I love them very much because they are scary. They're terrifying. They are absolutely terrifying. Like, after yeah. up to season seven, we've seen a lot of different types of vampires, a lot of demons, a lot of weird creatures and big bads. But holy crap, like I would be shaken in my stylish yet affordable boots. If... <laughs> I can't believe she can run in those. <laughs> I, I just, she's an expert. That's why trained yeah, and, yeah. and an expert. So, but those Uber vamps were terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first saw them, I was just like, oh, Buffy, Ugh. how can you fight these ones? How are you yeah. going to destroy this? And then when like they explain like, oh, you know, you can't pierce your skin. Yeah. You can't do this. Yeah. I'm just like, damn. Yeah. Like, how are they going to win? Like, you know, <laughs> they're going to win. But when you're watching yeah. again, watching this in real time, it's like, how are they going to win? How, where is this going to go? Like, how? How many of them are mm. going to die because now like when it came up to glory in season five you're like oh god how is she going to fight a god but everybody's yeah. really you know resourceful they figured it out as scoobies always do it's wonderful side note really angel saves the day but whatevs because <laughs> <laughs> he had the fancy jewelry the fancy jewelry yeah that conveniently <laughs> eliminates his rival now that you think about it <laughs> uh, and kills him or does it you never know with Joss Whedon. You, if you're you dead, never you know. never stay dead. Like, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, they play a lot. The two seasons they play a lot with our emotion. Giles leaves and he comes back. Oh, oh. God. I can't yes. deal with it. And also Faith comes back in season seven. Yeah. And yeah. Faith is my love, my light, my everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's pretty hardcore when she gets back. When Always she rolls is. back into Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then do you have any dislikes? Not really. Really? So the only thing, because I was I was forced to be introspective about this. Okay. <laughs> Again, because I watched this all in real time mm-hmm. uh, way back when, and it still upsets me, but I'll get into that a little bit later about season six. But I was always really, really upset with the Scoobies with bringing Buffy back to life. Like, I, it's still like, I'm still, in, it still hurts me, like, personally, though none of this is real, but. Yeah. And we talked about this in, in our last Buffy episode, but I thought the gift was the ultimate perfect ending for Buffy as a woman and and as a slayer and the fact that they pull her back because they can't deal with the fact that she is dead is and finding out that like she was happy and she was like in a heaven type universe or dimension or whatever and she was she was yeah and in that really heartfelt speech between her and Spike in the alley behind the, the magic box she was like I felt done she was done and I was warm and I was loved And I was finished. Complete. I I don't understand theology or dimensions, any of it really. But I think I was in heaven. 
I'm personally so wounded on that. So it's not necessarily a dislike, but I'm still shaken and, and upset that they did that to her. I love the fact that we got two more seasons. I don't regret that she came back per se, but it's just... The character story arc was going. It was the perfect natural endings. I even remember watching, I think it was the first episode of season six where Buffy is, or second episode of season six, where she's remembering the last moments with Dawn yeah. and she looks over the sky, like over the sky horizon. Mm-hmm. And like she sees this like glow mm-hmm. and it's like she knew. She mm-hmm. knew where she was going. She knew she was coming to her natural end. Mm-hmm. And so she accepted it willing, knowing that she was going to be safe. And never, her, and she knew her friends would be safe because a potential the next Slayer would become the Sunnydale. The natural order of things. How about you? Any dislikes? Season six and seven, generally? Uh, so generally my dislikes for season six and seven is, uh, well, you're like I know it's like your like is like, Giles comes back. I don't want Giles to leave. <laughs> so... <laughs> Obviously, I did not like it when Giles leaves. And then, you know, it's great when he comes back. And those episodes are always so wonderful. Like, yes, Giles is back. You know, and they make those episodes in season seven really special. Mm-hmm. But it's sad when he leaves. In season six, I, on this time, the first time around watching it, I, I felt it was okay watching it. But second time around, I found it challenging to watch. And it's only because I do not like the characters of Warren, Jonathan, and Andrew. Mm-hmm. In the sense of, mm-hmm. I don't like that they're the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And I understand where they're going in terms of, you know, making like humans more the bad guys and you and bringing in like a weapon, like a gun, you know, to kind of remind us that the Slayer, even though she's like immortal, she's still kind of mortal. Like there's certain things that still can kill her. But I just don't like those characters. And because John, uh, not Jonathan, sorry, um, Warren, like he's such an incel and mm-hmm. it's so uncomfortable watching his episodes. Mm-hmm. So uncomfortable. Like even this time around, like knowing the things I know, I was like, I can't watch this episode. Like the mm-hmm. one. One episode, I think, is Entropy or Dead Things. Dead Things with his uh, with his ex girlfriend. Yep. There, I was like, no, I can't, can't do this. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the things that we we're going to talk about further on in the episode in regards to the relationship between Spike and Buffy mm-hmm. is uncomfortable watching mm-hmm. it this time around. Mm-hmm. Very uncomfortable. So those are like my dislikes. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, like those are like my biggest dislikes because I really like season seven, mm-hmm. and I'm probably leading into which one is my favorite season, which yeah. is season seven. Go for uh, it. Season seven is for me. It's dark and it's like this epic journey that the Slayer is going on this kind of like I, it's like it reminds me of like a and d adventure and it's just great <laughs> and I love it <laughs> right and like finding out more about the Slayer what's behind her power we're learning about other uh, entities out there that can really be a true threat and for once like you know like every bad guy in Buffy was like a baddie right and they're mm-hmm. just like oh we gotta save the world but this time around like Buffy was truly scared mm-hmm. like truly scared mm-hmm. Um, and not sure she was going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she does come, that she had, that they all do come together and they all do figure it out and uh, defeat the first is like amazing. And like, I like that you get like those characters, like you get Faith back, you get those awesome moments. Like even, even though I don't like him, when Angel shows up, I'm just like, yes. Cause like you're watching it and you're just like, how are they going to do this? Yeah. How are they going to beat yeah. them? And then you see him show up and you're just yeah. like, okay, yeah. And yes, Nathan Fillion as the bad guy, Caleb, so creepy, mm-hmm. which is crazy for me because I first saw Nathan Fillion in Firefly because mm-hmm. I was I watched Firefly first and then I got into Buffy and I was like, oh, you know, Malcolm, I love it. And then I went and saw him in Buffy and I was just like, oh my God, he's so evil and so hateful mm-hmm. towards women. And mm-hmm. this is so bad. Yeah. So that's why <laughs> season seven is my favorite. And season six, I, I just most mostly dislike stuff from season six. Okay. So for the longest time, my 
favorite season between six and seven was season seven. Okay. You know me, I'm rarely sentimental about things, but I think that a portion of my love for season seven, again, I watched all of this in real time. So it's been in my life for like 20 years and I'm deeply connected to the show. So, you know, obviously watching things come full circle was amazing for me. And I do love that. But as I see it, like as a whole season and like going back and like revisiting some episodes, I feel like it's quite slow moving and it really just amps up at the later, like the latter half of of the season. So after researching, reading about it, thinking about it and talking with people online, I, I began to realize that the aspects of season six that for many, many years I found really disturbing and upsetting and dark and weird are actually what makes the season so goddamn incredible. I, okay. Yeah. I love stuff that makes people uneasy, uncomfortable, Mm. you know, Warren, Spike, stuff that happens with Willow. Like, the fact that the show takes it to this place is really unmatched by any show that I have heard of or have seen. And not since season two have I been so emotional, right? Like, it goes right. places. So I, I don't love the trio, but I enjoy, I enjoy the fact that they give us this like silly campy trio of silly dudes that we think are going to be the big bad. But again, Joss Whedon kicks our ass and the big bad of the season is actually Willow. So having... Okay, yes, yes. yes. Right? Because at the end, who do we have to fight? It's Willow. So having the band of these human men who try to take down the Slayer, they get their asses kicked and one of them flayed by a woman who is a witch. It is feminine power that defeats them. And it's incredible. And I echo your sentiments on Warren. He is disgusting. And I think watching Warren in the early 2000s, 2000s wasn't as disturbing to me from as far as I can remember. But just that means Joss Whedon was really tackling the concept of incels before really they really were a threat. They really were called incels. Right. So again, Joss Whedon being ahead of his time with absolute timeless themes of misogyny and toxic masculinity. So like Joss Whedon is always ahead of his time. And this point, which really kind of really clicked with me is actually with Heather Heather over at the Nevers podcast. She brought this up. She's like, yeah, Joss Whedon was talking about incels meant like 15 years ago. Like this was a long time ago before they were really a thing. I was like, oh my God, Heather, you're right. She's so brilliant. Yeah. And as uncomfortable and as gross as he is, like seeing it now in the lens of 2020, mm, terribly wonderful. I'll take it. That was really great points. Yes. That's a really Thank good you. sell for season six. <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> yeah. So like talking to people and like reading this stuff, I was like, you know what? I'm with you. I like the hard reads. I like a hardened, disturbing thing. I, I watch those movies. So I, you know, it's a thing that I like. So Spike, who we'll talk about later, he really hits rock bottom, but he has an incredible story arc. And I mean, not a lot of the male figures do in the Joss Whedon verse and Spike does. So I, I'm mm. really, you know, interested in that. You know, Buffy rises from the grave. There's an existential crisis that happens during season six, like an identity crisis. It's really important to her. And that's when she's like, why did I come back? Let's learn more about the Slayers. Like, what is this? Terra dies. That's huge. That's huge. Huge. Beloved character. See ya. Besides Buffy dying in season five, let's go back in time to season two when Jenny Calendar is killed. Mm. Like, we don't. Yes. It's important. Yes. 
Another witch is killed. Yep. Yeah. Men kill witches. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I'll, again, I'll echo like season six and season seven. Um, but, you know, especially in season six, because we have a lot of our beloved characters making difficult decisions, maybe terrible decisions for their characters and their life. But like, that's what makes them human. And we'll talk about that later. But the complexities of being a human being, making difficult decisions in your life, making bad decisions for your life and having to just deal with the consequences of your actions. And the last thing I'll say about that is Giles. Giles is the redemption of masculinity in my eyes. And maybe all the men go to shit because Giles leaves. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have the the English gentleman to keep them all in line. He's just, they all just go, they all just hor- horrible, terrible. Yep, it all just goes to shit. <laughs> so season six out of the two, as empowering and wonderful as I find season seven, if I was coming down again, if I'm comparing season to season as like a, a television series season six I think is the stronger one of the two fair enough like I said good sell (laughs) thank you I'm done so many years ago you can make me feel like it isn't so why you come to be with me I think I finally know All right. Well, now that we've talked about the two seasons, it's time to get into what we've already kind of hinted to a couple times, but talking about the bad boy Spike. (laughs) And as Kelly says, the arc that he goes through in seasons six and seven. So Kelly, what is it about bad boys that we women (laughs) seem to like? So... I am somebody that used to love the bad boys, and I'm sure there is a part of me that still definitely does. I have seriously dated, casually dated, and banged a lot of bad boys in my time. I really get the appeal. A lot of musicians in my time, which end up being a lot of, you know, dramatic, emotionally unavailable bad boys. <laughs> so we, we, we like those, you know, men with dark traits. Oh, God. You know, Mysterious. which usually ends up being like with like narcissism or they're Machiavellian in some way, shape or form. But we like it. Like, right. Well, we don't like it now. I don't. <laughs> at some point, uh, we did. have you grown up, Jess? Is that what you're saying? Am I growing up? I want a sweet man. So bad boys, as we briefly touched on there, they demonstrate, you know, and they exude like confidence, stubbornness, they're risk takers, they're hyper masculine. You know, there's a entrenched in leadership, dominance and physical strength. You know, they're kind of like those extreme forms of what it means to be a man. You know, they're they're incredibly charismatic. They're charming. And often they can be quite manipulative. Yes. Yes, they can. So bad boys are really wonderful for the short term casual lays, casual encounters, but overall perhaps we need a good guy a true good guy, a genuine authentic good guy for the long term for actual romantic relationships <laughs> Well it's like these men, they, they're saying these men tend to kind of follow a more non-monogamous type lifestyle but they always end up having shorter relationships and it's because they're confident and they're stubborn they like to do what they want to do and they don't want to be told any other way and to women we sometimes find this attractive for some reason mm-hmm. That it's like 
they they don't need us, but they do need us. So right, or what's this, the saying there? It's like I will reform him. Yeah, that's another thing. Uh, we like to reform our bad boys Ugh. into being the good guy, into the good men. Try to change them, right, ladies? You never will. I don't know. It's you 2020. I hope we know this by now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in a previous long-term relationship with a bad boy. Even during that relationship, I said to myself, "I'm like, my next one's gonna be a good boy." <laughs> I found a really good boy. Um. And it's like a world of difference to to be with yes. them. Um, so I strongly recommend banging the bad boys, but then dating the good boys. <laughs> well, it's another, I think that another it's another thing too, right? You never have long term things with bad boys. Never. You they're they're there for the wild ride. Oh, speaking of wild rides, uh, what were your initial <laughs> impressions of Spike when he blew onto the scene in School Hard season two? I will admit, when he first comes on, uh, shows up in School Hard, you're like, ooh, who is this guy, <laughs> right? You know, bleach blonde in black nail polish, oh tie dye, like he's all in leather, right? And he's just like, you know, home sweet home. You're just like, mmm. British. <laughs> you can't help it. He yeah. smokes oh, like. The accent. Oh, Lord. Uh, he's like yeah. the epitome of the bad boy. Spike is, that's why, yeah. we, you know, one of the reasons we want to talk about him, because, you know, you think about the other bad boys, like, quote unquote, angel. Angel might be because he is a vampire and so he has a darkness and whatnot, but aesthetic wise. That's broody. But like that's, <laughs> there's a difference between being a broody man and a bad boy. Like I guess Spike no, because even then by the end of season seven, like we think Spike is broody, but no, he's still a bad boy. He's, bad he's always boy. gonna have that bad boy imagery. It yep. Angel will always be the broody one. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like I was with you and I'm like, who is a sexy yeah. drink of water that is just driven through Sunnydale? I was here for it. I was really into it. And you know, they didn't know if he was going to be a long term character. He wasn't supposed to be, but us ladies, we all went wild for him. Yeah. So Joss kept him on. Um, but uh, yeah, I was also really curious and, and intrigued by him. You know, he comes in, there's a lot of conflict, but he's also a very emotional vampire. And the, actually, the va- a lot of the vampires, the main ones that we see in the Whedonverse are very emotional. I guess it kind of goes back to our Anne Rice roots of, the, I think they're overly emotional, but you know, it, they have a lot of humanity in them and, and Joss Whedon vampires yes. as, as their main characters definitely do as well. So yeah, yeah. I echo your sentiments on, on that, that he was definitely a force to be reckoned with and he was sexy and he was monstrous and you know after Angel left that whole Riley debacle let's not talk about Riley but you know (laughs) what was really interesting to me and Jess and I found this really wonderful article that compared Buffy with Anita who is a subject of a long ongoing series of of novels she's a vampire hunter she's a necromancer and it's by Laurel K. Hamilton and I found it really interesting because like why do these women go towards these quote-unquote bad boys and these monstrous men and these demonic men so they're like werewolves they're vampires or well mainly she's you know they're with vampires we'll specifically state with uh with vampires and some of the things that i really enjoyed what they what they talked about and comparing the two because there is a lot of parallels i didn't realize the parallels i was like oh wow this makes so much sense and (laughs) sorry i didn't mean to jump in there but i was just like yes yeah i'm getting this buffy anita yeah they're essentially like the same person except one's a necromancer on top of that so oh completely (laughs) so an interesting point that they brought up is that Anita Blake and Buffy they spend 
most of their time and a lot of their time and share a lot of emotionally charged experiences with these demonic men. So, you know, Buffy and Angel are fighting the forces of darkness together. And then like, Mm -hmm. you know, Buffy fought with Spike and then he was around more. And then, you know, they fought, you know, they fought each other and then they fought alongside each other. And they both, they all come from a place of darkness. And Buffy is surrounded by monsters all the time. And I, I don't, it almost feels like a duh moment, a light bulb moment. Like, of course she's going to feel more towards these, a lot of conflicted feelings and these conflicted, complicated relationships. But of course that's going to make sense. And that's why the Riley thing didn't really work out because it didn't really, it never really clicked, never really made sense. She wanted a good boy, but she's a part of this dark world and you just have to embrace that. Exactly, because with Buffy and you know, Spike and Angel, and then we'll even, we see this in, with Anita Blake, because you said they're so surrounded by these beings, this is part of her world. Mm-hmm. And even though it's unnatural for the human world, it's natural for her. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, she doesn't feel alienated from these vampires. She doesn't feel like a freak, mm-hmm. you know, with Angel and Spike, like, or, you know, so this, it just makes sense to her that of course she spends so much time with these beings that eventually you will eventually develop some sort of feelings for someone, you know, in this battle for good. Whereas when she tried, like you said, when she was trying to do it with Riley, well, he doesn't see Buffy as natural and tr- kind of treats her unnatural, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and right. And, and she can't really kind of have a very conventional relationship in the way that Riley would have wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't see Buffy quitting being a slayer and having two children and, you know, mm-hmm. being a stay at home mom. White like, picket no. fence. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. And that was essentially Riley. And that's essentially mm-hmm. what Riley want to do. I want to protect you. I should be the man. I should do the fighting. Mm-hmm. I can't handle, you know, right? Mm-hmm. I can't handle your unnaturalness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it makes sense. Completely. And you have, you know, these vampiric men, these monstrous men, they have the supernatural strength. They have the fortitude. They She doesn't have to worry about them in fights. Of course she's going to, but she doesn't really have to on like top of mind worry about like all the other humans that sometimes fight alongside her. Like they can... They can fight for themselves, stand up for themselves. They can hold their own and just have to worry about them. And, you know, also there's a physical proudness and attractiveness of these men that, of course, she's going to be drawn to. She has that as well. And that's why we're all drawn to these slayers. You know, as characters in the show, you know, their other people are drawn to them. Xander's drawn to Buffy initially, um, drawn to Faith as well. You know, there's different, you know, there's there's a mystery, I guess, uh, something about them and that uh, maybe there's that darkness that really just attracts people to them. Yeah, and when we say this dark side too, uh, and a lot of the conversations that Buffy and Spike have often is all about how she's surrounded by death and violence, Mm -hmm. and this is her life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Buffy's life it's always going to be about her destiny. It's always going to be about duty. So she'll never be able to have a normal relationship yeah. because it'll, her life will always be full of death and violence and she will always have to make the hard decisions. Yeah. And to be with a regular human male, you know, or, or a moral partner, they would constantly have this ethical struggle mm-hmm. with, oh, you, not, you, you can't kill our best friend, Joan, just because she's a vampire. She used to be our friend. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, she's a vampire. I must murder her. I don't care if she made me an apple pie two days ago. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
<laughs> Wonderful point. It's true, right? They she needs somebody that you know she can be her true self with. She can be the slayer yes. with, share everything, the ups and the downs, and her struggles and the difficulties, and just who she is as a person and as a slayer with this person. And you know, in the end, we know Riley couldn't really cut it because he goes and gets. I was gonna say sucked off by a whole bunch of like of female vampires because he's just like he can't. He wants a taste of what that darkness would be, but he just he he doesn't. He, in the end, he never fully understands her. And yeah. I think that's really what it what it comes down to, and why that is such a sham in the end. <laughs> and really, at the end of the day, she could only have a true, passionate, and safer relationship with someone who understands her one hundred percent, and that just happens to be a vampire. Yeah, I'm sure there maybe were demons that could have come up that would have worked out, but it didn't happen in the show. So whatever. So we can't really speculate, but I'm sure. But you're right. She never was ever truly disgusted by the fact that she was banging undead dudes. No. No. She was fine. Everybody else was. They are just like, mm, that's weird. She's like, eh. No. Nah. She's like, I'm death. The Slayer yep. is death. Yep. <laughs> death is my gift. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So kind of like this brings us to this relationship that she ends up having with Spike. So when Buffy and Spike begin their relationship together, um, it really brings out some problematic behaviors in Buffy in the sense of, you know, she starts drinking, she starts like kind of fluffing off on her duties and stuff like that, and she's struggling. Um, And this is, and these are considered bad girl attributes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is when she kind of starts to have a sexual relationship with Spike. And it's kind of interesting because like in season uh, seven, when Spike and Faith are having a talk there type thing, you know, and he's, and she's like, and she says something like, oh yeah, B, you know, would never do Mm -hmm. something like that. And Spike's like, oh, Oh, well, actually, yeah. you don't really know her that well. I was like, okay, so yep. Buffy was in her bad girl phase. <laughs> she was in her faith <laughs> phase. And of course, yeah. she hated herself for it. And everybody thought it was all very sad, which is in itself upsetting. <laughs> yeah, this relationship comes out and, and, is, and it's been described as problematic, um, particularly like watch, like watching it now, like watching as a 30-year-old woman then and watching as a 35-year-old woman now, I'm just like, yes, there's definitely problems with this relationship. It is toxic. This, mm-hmm. is, this is not good. But it was really interesting. One of the articles that we had read had done kind of like focus groups where they were having uh, p- different groups of people watching the uh, episodes of with Buffy and Spike and watching their relationship. And a lot of them talked about just how, you know, physically and emotionally abusive their relationship was together. And the, one of the things that was interesting is that the male group, they saw Spike as fulfilling a gender role of being uh, dominating and provoking Buffy to violence. That he was constantly, every time Spike would come up against a strong woman, he couldn't handle handle that and they felt that he would try to dominate her which will then force Buffy to be violent towards him because she's a slayer she's not going to take that Mm -hmm. she can't be dominated by a vampire of all things whereas the females of these groups saw this relationship as very intense and possessive and everything that was wrong with the relationship was either glamorized and it was made to look very toxic so it was really interesting how people were picking up on this odd behavior but then people start also picking up on Buffy's violence towards Spike Mm -hmm. and that Buffy is fighting this misogynist violence with her own violence and this empowerment gives her this ability to overpower men and then ultimately they, they felt that she was uh, transgressing the feminine ideal because she was following into the bad girl role of being super violent super uh, dark like she was almost kind of like faith in season six mm-hmm. like kind of mm-hmm. testing the waters of the dark slayer but but still being but not murdering people <laughs> um <laughs> just 
essentially killing herself and almost killing Spike. Mm-hmm. It's a very antagonistic relationship. Besides being toxic, mm-hmm. it's it's very, it's, yeah, it's antagonistic. That's really the best way to put it. There's always fighting involved. Like they're taunting each other and they're biting, making biting comments and then they're punching and then they're having sex and you're just like, what is going on here? And, yeah. you know, one of the things that somebody said in here, which is, which I definitely notice on this rewatch is that there's a problem with how her sexuality is portrayed in many ways but one of them is that she keeps saying no she's like no stop it Spike no don't do this yeah. not here no stop it but then she gives into it and does it anyways and it's very conflicting and that is very I don't want to keep saying the word problematic but it's not it doesn't does not doesn't show their sexual her sexuality and their relationship in a very positive light because he keeps going anyways he's in Potentially yes. disregarding what she's saying. I know she carries on with it. So that's like really confusing for everyone involved, meaning both of them. But that is definitely a big thing that I noticed. She's like, no, stop. And then he just keeps going. And she's like, okay, I guess so. Because yeah. she's in this vulnerable, weird place in her life that he seems to be taking advantage of. Exactly, right? And it's confusing for, for young women to watch that because yep. we're all, especially now, being taught yep. no means no. Yep. Like, when, when she says no the first time, you don't do anything. That's where it ends. Yep. That's where it ends. But we, but we, like you said, and you pointed out, we're seeing this, you know, she's saying no, but then she's still giving in. Yep. So then it's like, oh, so that stupid fucking saying that sometimes men saying, oh, well, no means, really means yes. And it's like, no. Yeah. No means no. Yeah, exactly. And like you said she's in this vulnerable state so of course she's not really she's not making great decisions we see this all throughout season six but I mean like she's having an existential identity crisis she came from the grave and she was really happy being dead and now she's alive she has to deal with like what that means yes you know so it's 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 a hard it's a hard season she's confused she's being destructive yeah and you know everyone sees it but they're having a hard time you know dealing with it right yeah and I I would bring this another thing up that I thought was really interesting that in this article and what some of these people say because I think a lot of people say like really you know I can relate and understand where they're coming from with a lot of these things what's really interesting and something that I always I just forget about is Buffy and Spike come together really only after he learns that he can actually hit her without his his chip going off right because that's what's preventing him from harming humans is that it provides a painful visceral response but he can hurt demons so he finds out that she's available essentially he can hit her she is available and this may and this is the the theory that this person was bringing up is that so after they come together after he learns that he can hit her and which is implying in order to be sexually viable men need to be violent and able to dominate their women but then Buffy and Spike shippers which I hate the word shipping I don't even really get that Um, (laughs) but they see that as a necessary move to imply equality between the two and I just thought that was weird that is weird yep. I'm sorry but like I want equality in my relationship but I'm not gonna start beating around my partners and have them beating on me for us to have be equal yeah <laughs> like I get that like again it, maybe it comes back to the whole the reason why Buffy is really attracted to to vampires and those with supernatural strength supernatural beings is that they can go toe to toe head to head and and you know and they can hold their own hold their thing. own and now that they're both able to do that now we're okay to bang 
I don't, it's, that is like also no, The correlation isn't there. No, no, that is not equality. If you want to bring it down to like bare bones, you're supernatural and I'm supernatural and now we can beat each other up and that's equal. But no, when it comes to a relationship or, or sexuality, I don't think that that should be how you look at that. I agree. Yeah. And around the time in that article, they keep talking about people as opponents. I was like, I don't think we should be talking about people as opponents in relationships. It's not you again, you versus me. You're supposed to be a partnership. <laughs> Yeah, right? You're like, oh, what kind of relationships have you been in? Like, Ones with Spike. Yes, yes. Well, well, let's go into talking about Spike and how he can actually be a bit of a problematic male character in the Whedonverse. So Spike is, as I mentioned before, you know, he is... He's an emotion. He's very emotional. He's an emotional man. It turns him into a very emotional, dramatic, uh, very dramatic vampire. And you kind of mentioned that like Buffy plays into that as well. Overall, it's not a good, healthy, stable relationship. She's not great. Mm. He's not great. Nobody's in a great place. This is not a good combination. Great watch. Compelling, you know, television, but not great. And so Spike becomes this sympathetic vampire character. So this is when, folks, we're going to be getting into some more um, controversial uh, subject matter. First, I want to say that as much as I love Angelus and Angel, Angelus, who is Angel without a soul, he never attacks Buffy or anybody else sexually, which is, I think, a really important thing to remember. People that love to adore and think about Spike affectionately. And so specifically, we're going to end up talking about a very specific episode called Seeing Red, which is season six, episode 19. And talking about a sympathetic vampire, and this is going back like years and years and years and years in like vampire lore, lore, they're not real, in, um, in vampires <laughs> and like film and in literature and whatnot. Yeah. But, you know, it was later on in it that they started using sexual violence. But here we have, so in that episode, when he is what? I think, Jess, I can speak for you to say that it is an attempted rape scene. It definitely is a sexual assault. And if Buffy wasn't the strong slayer that she is, I think that that would have gone full circle and he would have completed his task. But when he's doing that at that time, and it's important to remember is that he doesn't have his vamp face on. It's not like he's being like, oh, I'm a vampire. I'm going to do something terrible to you. He has his human yeah. face on. He's giving into a sexual loss, not a blood loss, like a vampire would. Like he's, they go into vamp face to suck blood. You can't do that in your vamp, not yeah. into your, you can't, sorry, you can't do that in your human face. So this is not a blood lust, like that kind of like I'm evil type thing. This is a sexual thing. This is a control thing. This is an emotional thing. Yeah, he is not looking to try and bite Buffy to feed his bloodlust, like Kelly said. He's there for sexual lust, but he's confusing it with love, and that's scary, and that makes it very dangerous because, like Kelly said, when he attacks Buffy, he's not in in vampiric form. He's in human form, and typically when vampires do attack their victims, they are tackling it in their monstrous form. However, vampiric bloodlust and now sexual lust are now being combined together creating these modern vampires which then we have these like vampire rapists that come into being born but we're not seeing that with spike in this episode we're seeing something completely different 
And he realizes yeah. that right away. Yeah, for sure. That's why we don't see his face. Mm-hmm. Pretty well, he leaves, like, and he tries to keep away from Buffy for all, but, but he knows what he did. And this episode, and kind of ongoing, kind of perpetuates rape culture, unfortunately. There's a lot of good in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show, but there's a handful of badness. And, you know, and we aren't af- afraid to tackle the badness of a beloved show. It's something that I still love very, very much. So he is a sympathetic vampire. And there's three strategies for a sympathetic character, a sympathetic vampire. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, because we seem to forget later on in season six, season seven, that this actually happened. It's yes. never brought up again, really. And it's it's not great. It's not great in how that was all handled. Barely mentioned. Mm-hmm. Even if it is mentioned, it's mentioned off, like kind of off mm-hmm. par, like, oh, you know, when Xander and uh, Dawn find out, then they he, they, Buffy just kind of shrugs it off. And what we end up seeing is that we end up seeing Buffy being silenced. Mm-hmm. The, and then what's end up happening is that the writers of the show never go back to fully explore no. that or address it. And so like many other victims of some form of sexual assault or violence, we see Buffy, we see silence and she, and we never see it interacted. We never see any kind of, yep. I guess you would say justice. Yes. Come on yep. her end. And, but we then we end up seeing the series end up focusing on, focusing on Spike's redemption. Yes. It's all about him now getting a soul. He's now like Angel and now we want to, we want to change, they want to take that moment and, and spin it to be more positive again. Totally. So yeah, you kind of hit the three things. So the strategies are, you know, forgetting, quote unquote, forgetting what happened. And it's a TV show, so it's easy to never revisit again. It's episode by episode. And we don't really see, like you said, Buffy dealing with it. Has she dealt with it? And if she's dealt with it, has she dealt with it properly? Like, it doesn't really go back to it. Two, silence of the victim. As you said, Buffy never really talks about this ever again. Goes back to working with Spike. So she does that. And another thing, too, is when everyone worries about how they're socially going to interact with Spike, and it comes up quite a few times by yeah. Xander, but not necessarily asking how Buffy is. Yep. No, they're like, oh yeah, how should we act? Like what? Like, oh, he's terrible. Xander never liked him anyways, but just like, yeah, so what should we do? And it's like, it's, yeah, it's never, how are you? How are you dealing with this? Like what's going on? No, never. Great point. Great point that they never ask her how she's doing. Like if the series wanted to work on mm-hmm. having some form of redemption for Spike, because he does realize mm-hmm. what he's done was wrong. Mm-hmm. He, he does try to work really hard to, to be heroic in a way to try and fix things he but also I think at the same time too I think he also says like he never accepts that he'll ever get forgiven but I feel like when they have Buffy say to Spike at the end like I love you or something Mm. like that it's like they're trying to get her to forgive Mm -hmm. him and I'm like she doesn't need to forgive him ever like even if he's trying to even if he knows what he did was wrong and promises never to do that again hopefully whatever Mm -hmm. she should never have to forgive him for that and so when she kind of says I love you to him at the end of season seven I was like it's weird why yeah I don't, I don't like that. It's very out of place. And he's like, no, you don't. But thanks for saying it. I was like, no, you don't. (laughs) You have feelings for him. It's in your heart, like you said, which is fine, whatever. Um, Yeah. But no, 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 you don't. I'm going to tell you that you don't love him because I know you don't. So I know that you are, maybe I'm proud of you would have been a better thing to say, but it's not as cinematic. Because I would be proud. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great, great moment for his character to to die for the sake of the cause. Yeah. But I don't know. You don't love her. So the third thing of that is, like you said, emphasizing the goodness of the character. So yeah, Spike feels guilty, but then he becomes a hero. And that's what a lot of these Spike and Buffy shippers do. They focus not on the bad stuff. 
They focus on the nurturing mm-hmm. positive things that Spike has done. Yes, he takes care of Dawn. He fights the good fight and he does all these things. And that's great. But we can't forget. And what normally is wonderful about Joss Whedon shows is that he never forgets. We always kind of, it always carries on. And what's really interesting and really upsetting, but again, it's just like, is a blip in the radar is in the episode that I watched today. I believe it's end of days. So Buffy has been like, quote unquote, exiled or removed from the household. Yeah. And she's at that house and she's talking with Spike and she's like, can you please leave me alone? You know, please go away. I just want to be left alone, essentially. And he's like, no, I'm going to let you hear what I have to say. And she's like, you were never really good at like listening to know, or you were never really good at essentially that, like never like respecting a no per se. And it was like, well, that's kind of a biting remark. But then we go into his big, massive speech that I do love that speech, but it was just like this biting moment. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah. It's just like this, again, little blip on the radar, but it's just like, yeah, you remember Buffy, yet all of this has still happened. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know what? Work with him. Sure. Yeah. Fight the good fight. I understand the pragmatism that she has with keeping him around, even though other people are upset by it, other than the Scoobies, but let's just Let's not forget. Let's not forget what's happened here. And not only that, too, like the, you know, you have the the uh, attempted rape scene in Seeing Red, but then you think of all the things that he did leading up to all mm-hmm. that. Like It's been coming for a while. He, it was been coming for a while. He stalked Buffy. Yep. He stole her panties. Um, he built yep. an altar to her. He chained her up. And then he made a Buffy bot and used it as a sex yep. toy. All of that behavior <laughs> does not lead to good no, things. No, red flag. Right? And then the fact... <laughs> all red flags all along the way and then the fact that they end up getting into this very violent sexual uh, relationship is very problematic and the one thing I don't really get and this came came up in a couple of the uh, Buffy Spike kind of shipper articles Mm -hmm. that we looked at but that one of the reasons why that it's okay that Buffy has this relationship with Spike is that because she's just as aggressive as Mm. him that she takes on all like the superior positions in the sexual mm-hmm. scenes and she often beats up on Spike mm-hmm. and that really Spike is the more feminine one out of the two of them because he shows his emotion mm. yeah so yeah Buffy was horrible to Spike because she was lost because she was vulnerable because she didn't know what she was doing but what happened in the past is, does not mean that what happens to her later on is right yep. do you know what or I mean? or was she quote unquote asking for it if that's where you're going with it. Like, uh, it's something, yeah, like in the Ugh. sense that like that was that was just going to happen based on how their interactions was. And you know what's and which I think is an interesting segue into and we will link this in show notes. But there is this blog post that somebody a couple of years ago wrote that goes through like scene by scene by scene talking about the lead up to yeah, that episode of Seeing Red. This person firmly believes that what was what happens in that episode is not an attempted rape. That entire blog post makes my skin crawl. It was not very pleasant to read at all. I was just like, I, and literally like dissecting me like, well, when she says no here, at like no as in no Spike and then no as in ecstasy, you know, you're like, ugh. Yeah. It's also just like, Spike, read the room. I understand that yes. like it was conflicting yes. and maybe confusing and you're ruled by your penis in some of these parts. But the energy in the room was vastly different in that bathroom than any of those other scenes. Very, very different. 
because it was like, no, Spike, don't. And then they're begging. And seeing Red, it's no, Spike, don't get away from me. Get out of here. Like, leave me alone. And she's literally fighting him. It's it's there's an energy difference. And if you were reading yeah. body language, but he gets so wrapped up in what you're saying, like the lust and the love. And, and it's so, it's such a terrible, terrible scene in this show. It's so terrible. Um, Yeah. Read the room, Spike. Read the room. And what's really upsetting is that literally the episode prior, which is Entropy, which is where Spike and Anya have sex. Yeah. There is that interaction between Spike and Buffy where he says, I don't hurt you. She's like, I know. He's like, no, you don't. I've tried to make it clear to you, but you won't see it. Something happened to me, the way I feel about you. It's different. And no matter how hard you try to convince yourself it isn't, it's real. And she says, I think it is for you. So he literally says in the episode prior, I would essentially never hurt you. I don't hurt you. I'm not out to hurt you. And then he does. And he, like you said, all those red flags, moment by moment by moment, Spike is a creep. And it is not surprising that it led to this moment in seeing Red. Like that, though it's shocking to to witness, it's not surprising that his character got to that point. Because he's just like, feel me, Buffy. I want you to feel this and everything. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? His obsession and compulsion with her has led to this like break in reality, maybe for him. It's definitely unnerving. And it definitely does not make you feel comfortable watching that scene and then going back and revisiting that whole relationship and you're just like you know even when they have like moments in season seven together like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just it's still uncomfortable and you're just like okay I understand I understand what he's trying what they're trying to do and what he's trying to do what she's trying to do but it just doesn't feel right and I just I I think what happens is like a lot of shippers they like really like to focus on the nurturing and caring side of Spike Spike when he gets um, super protective of Dawn and he wants to make sure she's okay and wants to protect the family you know and when he gets so involved in helping the Scoobies and everything he just wants to be caring and everyone focuses on that and they really want to focus on this idea that he was once a dangerous man that got tamed by a stronger woman which then touches upon the real fears of what the potential harm men can do to women and how women can potentially change the true nature of their dangerous men (laughs) right can they yeah can they right can they it's a it's that kind of constant you know being like oh well he only hits me on Thursdays when he's really angry because of a bad day yep. at work but I you know if I just stay with him and I help him and give him everything he needs he'll be a, he'll be a better man no yes no. Mike is our good guy rapist you know the one that rapes or attempted you know attempts rape and but you know what he's so great and like he's got so much to live for and he's in college and like we hear unfortunately these stories all the time yeah that's icky my final thoughts around Spike is that I really wish they didn't go they where where they went with his character because I did like early early seasons of Spike I liked mm-hmm. and what ended up happening with him in season six right I can understand why there would be a, a relationship between Buffy and Spike like we were saying why should be attracted to the bad boy because of that dark mm-hmm. side but because she wasn't being you know because she needed that emotional connection and she mm-hmm. needed to explore more of her darkness you know she did end up finding some kind of pleasure in that type of relationship with Spike but there were so many red flags. Mm-hmm. And when you're already vulnerable enough as it is, it's really hard to see those red flags. And it just, 
I, it's not a relationship I could really get behind. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why people rate it so high. Yep. And that was another interesting thing that I find out is that people rate Buffy and Spike's relationship as the highest ratings mm-hmm. that fans really love. I don't I don't really understand it. Personally, I like to see Buffy on her mm-hmm. own, but that's where I stand on that one. A final notes on Spike is what I can appreciate and respect what they did in this show is that Spike does feel remorse. He changes. He gets it. And often yeah. in real life, most of the time, almost always, we do not get this. We do, Like you said, I think, yeah, like the justice aspect or in our rape revenge fantasies and those, you know, we're getting this revenge because we're not going to get the justice that we need. And so often, and I talked about this in our rape revenge episode, is that there's no therapy or rehabilitation for these people. It's just like, oh, well, maybe you'll get, you know, a jail sentence. Maybe not. Probably not. And like nothing then ends up happening. And they aren't they they don't have a moment to be changed or in our rape revenge fantasies, they're killed. So at least Spike changes, not an excuse for behavior, but at least he changes and he realizes that that was wrong. And I don't foresee him as season seven Spike ever doing something like that again. So it's it's complicated. And that's why I love the show, because we can have these conversations because you're just like there's so much to all of these characters and it's it's controversial. And I'm glad that we talked about it. But generally, I'm just glad to see that he had some kind of rehabilitation. Was that a soul whatever it's a supernatural show so if that's your rehab fine at least we're seeing that at least we get that in some regard yeah you know so Buffy, my God, I didn't... because i stopped you something i should have done a long time ago Let's move on to our top three favorite episodes of season six. You go first. Uh, top three favorite episodes of season six. Uh, I tend to like the lighter <laughs> ones because it's such a dark season. So Life Serial, obviously Once More with Feeling yeah. because it's the musical episode and I yeah. love that. And well, okay, well, technically this is a dark episode, but villains. I love it when Dark Willow appears. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. What happens in Life Serial again? Life Serial is the one where uh, Buffy is when the the trio starts t- um, testing with Buffy and she's trying to get all those jobs. Oh, and just like right. things keep happening. Right. And I don't know. I just like yeah. that. I like when Buffy does weird episodes like that. Right. That's totally fair. My top three are Once More with Feeling. And I almost feel like that's a given. But yes, it's a musical one. It's reveals a hell of a lot about the characters. That's when we learned that Buffy was in heaven for the first time and everyone is shocked and dismayed and devastated um and it's just a super fun musical episode i don't usually like musicals but that was a whedon one so i'm here for it uh my other two are tabula rasa and and dead things so yeah tabula rasa because and they did this in an episode in angel but um you know they take away their memories it's just interesting because tabula rasa essentially means like blank slate and it shows that you can't fully do that with like a human being with our minds because there's so much entrenched deep into us that you can never and this is what dollhouse is all about uh remove who we are Mm. you know willow and tara still attracted to each other dawn and buffy can figure out that easily that they're related but it's also a really powerful ending because once that spell wears off uh tara breaks up with willow giles leaves he leaves that's the episode he leaves so um it's very upsetting spike and buffy are making out which is fine um yeah so that was super powerful and then dead things 
is a yikes episode. Very yikes. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, so that's the one where the trio, or War- especially Warren, makes Buffy think that she killed Katrina, and Buffy is really upset because she doesn't want to kill human beings. And even if it's an accident, you know, we that brings us back to season three as well. But it's really gross. They, like, brainwash his ex-girlfriend, turns her into their sex slave, and then Warren kills her. And it's gross. That's the moment where Buffy breaks down to Tara and lets her know that she's been having sex with Spike and she's crying and it's really upsetting. But it's great because Tara tells her that it's okay to have sex with Spike because even though you don't love him, which is pretty much the first time we see this in the show. And coming from Tara, Tara of all people, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I really like that moment in the in the season when it's Tara that she tells, yep. right? Because yep. it really shows you that Buffy really respects Tara and has and wants to open up to her. Yeah. Great season. Lots of heavy episodes. But it's these really super heavy episodes that bring us to the person, the slayer, the feminist icon, Buffy herself, and really brings a lot of change and transformation for her. So really interesting article that both Kelly and I read for this podcast episode uh, talking about the strong female character. And I found this fascinating. I loved it too. I loved loved how like at the end of it, like Buffy's not a powerful woman. She's a powerful human being. I'm like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Really interesting. We we talk about how Buffy is a real person. And this is also something too in this article reading this, like made me fall in love with the show just after reading Mm -hmm. the articles. I'm like, yes, Buffy is a complex character. Mm -hmm. And she is, as much as I love Xena, Warrior Princess, and I love her so much (laughs) and all like, she doesn't necessarily have the most complex story arc that Buffy Mm -hmm. does. Like, Xena will always fall into being the strong female character, where Buffy is not. She is a real person. She is a woman. And she's not just strong because of her physical strengths. She's strong because of her mental and even emotional strength. And I think it's just so fascinating how, like, that whole series subverts this idea. So, quote-unquote, strong female characters are usually, which essentially what you said, related to and always broken down to a very one-dimensional aspect. It's that they're strong, they're violent, they're masculine. So essentially you take a male character, invert the gender, and now you're a quote unquote strong female character. And like we hear this, this is like a thing that we hear all the time now. Like, are there strong female characters? What does that mean? But typically, and that's what it means, you know, in a quote unquote progressive show, all you need to be, not to be, sorry, a stereotypical woman, but they seem to be progressive, but then they're not. But if you say strong female character, she's physically strong. She's emotionally closed off, you know, to the world. We're not going to be emotional. We're going to be like aloof, unavailable emotionally. And also, mm-hmm. of course, we need to have the titillation in there. But she's going to be presented to the viewers as traditionally sexy. So overall, we're still reinforcing, of course, patriarchal ideas. They're not actually well-rounded people. They're just archetypes of people. Yeah, like there's no personhood yeah. to these people. And they're still part of the patriarchy. Yep. Because like you said, they are seen, they're associated with being violent and aggressive, mm-hmm. which is typical male characteristic and trait. They can't show emotion, uh, as you're saying, and men fetishize mm-hmm. them. And once again, so they become these, you know, essentially all have the time, they're these dangerous sex objects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for these men who will do whatever they want to achieve their final goal. And this is how we how these uh, strong female characters are typically portrayed and Buffy isn't that no she isn't I mean she has the typical normal aspects of like women and, and the female portrayals of, of women in film and TV like she wants to talk about boys and shopping and clothes and wants to look good but 
She's more than that. That's like barely even anything that I remember about Buffy when I think about her as a character. But like Mm -hmm. that's there. It gets like a little bit less later on, though she still looks good later on. And that is a thing. She's always like well-dressed and put together. But the amazing thing about Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a show is that they have humanized female characters and many of them. We have Buffy, we have Willow, we have Anya, we have Faith. And this even goes into Angel as a show as well, that the women are complex individuals. They're not just physically strong. They are the opposite, you know? Sometimes they're weak physically, but they're still incredibly well-rounded, complex individuals, which still makes them strong. So they go against the whole, you can only be strong if you're physically strong and violent. And I love how with Buffy, she is more than just her traits. Like she always shows her humanity in the Mm -hmm. end, Mm -hmm. right? She's, yeah, she may be unnaturally strong. She may be faster than everyone else. And she may have, may have to make harder decisions, but she always shows that she has emotions. She loves and cares for her family. And she is a real person who deals with complex emotions outside of her slayer duties. We don't see that with Black Widow or with Wonder Woman, right? Like, you know, outside of their superhero duties, we don't see them face real world problems. And like, you know, Buffy in season six had to figure out how to be an adult and a caregiver for her sister, Dawn, and then how to keep a house over her Mm -hmm. head and have to get a job, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like Very like mundane, trivial crap we sometimes have to see in the show. But that's just like the reality. And that's what's really great about the show is it's like, how does a slayer live in the world? You know, yes, she's a supernatural character. Yes, she has this massive destiny, but she's also going to live in the world. And I mentioned this to Jess. We were watching Buffy last week and I was just like, I wish the Watchers Council could actually give her a salary or something. Like, why is this Slayer struggling financially? So what essentially it is, is a Slayer is chosen to fight the powers of darkness, the forces of evil, but then she has to struggle in her day-to-day life to just survive that? What a downer. Like, I just feel like in the Watchers, they have all their libraries and their fancy everything, but the Slayer gets diddly squat. They get dead, essentially, and I think that is atrocious. Atrocious. Well, yeah, I agree because Buffy's character, and as interesting as it's like in the beginning of the season, to we'll talk to later on in the season, she's not defined by her Slayer role. Her character is actually well-defined before we get to see mm-hmm. more of what, who she is as a Slayer, yeah. right? And when we see her earlier on, like, she struggles between being a teenager and a Slayer, and then she goes back and forth, like, no, I need to be a Slayer all the time. Well, no, I need to be human all yeah. the time, yeah. right? She's always forced to go back to f- back and forth. And then when we saw earlier in season uh, five in the battle against Glory, and when she tur- turns from the council and says, I'm not going to do what you want me to say anymore, not only is she saying that I have the power and you got guys can't do anything. She's also saying, I'm not abandoning my womanhood just to be a 100% full-time slayer for you people. Yeah. I'm embracing my femininity. I'm embracing my humanity wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. This is who mm-hmm. I am. And, you know, I am not a machine. Mm-hmm. I am not your toy to go send off and to for killing people. And I'm more than just a slayer. Yeah. Even though we do, she does always say, I am the slayer. I am the slayer. It's like, you're Buffy. Yeah. She's <laughs> Buffy. Yeah, I know. I get that. And it even goes back to Kendra, the slayer that we meet in season two, is that 
she is, Kendra is literally showing us the flaws and being just a one-dimensional, quote, strong female character. Kendra's all about her slayer duties. She's cut off from the world. She doesn't have a family. She was removed from her family, doesn't have friends. She just studies and she fights evil. The end. So she literally just shows us that that is not really the best way to go about it. And Buffy tells her, like, my friends, my family, my feelings, my emotions are assets, my anger and my love. Like, that gives me power and drive. Yeah, she might fight. Kendra might fight fight better. Again, that's something that they talk yeah. about. But, you know, Buffy is unique for a reason. The reason why she lives to be greater than 20 years old, because then the show ends, you know, and Kendra does not. Kendra dies young. Yes. And that's usually, and that was always usually the curse of the Slayer, yeah. right? They usually didn't live past the age of 18, yep. right? So it makes sense that to see Buffy as more than just a Slayer as a human, because she's able to develop herself along the way yep. continuously um, as a Slayer. And she embraces that she's not a perfect slayer mm-hmm. either. At, at a time earlier on, that w- would have really frustrated her, but she's like, no, I'm imperfect. Yep. And so whenever Faith comes at her being like, oh, you're a little goody miss two shoes, you're the perfect slayer. And Buffy's like, I'm not perfect. Yep. I make mistakes like you. Mm-hmm. I just don't kill, like, I <laughs> just don't kill humans and go the route that you yep. did. How, but... I am imperfect because I'm still in touch with my humanity. I'm still in touch with the things that make me imperfect. Exactly. And that brings you to a great scene in season five, an episode called Intervention, where Buffy says it's a Giles and a Buffy conversation, which is always like some of the most like wise, wonderful dialogue. But she says, I can beat up demons until the cows come home. Then I can beat up the cows. But I'm not sure what I like what it's doing to me. And Giles says, you've mastered so much strength and resilience alone. Buffy says, yes strength, resilience. Those are all words for hardness. I'm starting to feel like being this layer is turning me into stone. Mm. And then we kind of see going into season seven that she's taken on this like commander of an army, blocking out emotion, cutting yeah. herself off. She's militant. And she asks her potential slayers, are you ready to be strong? Which... In the article that we read was stating that she was blatantly disregarding the whole subversion of our strong female character and ignoring it uh, and ignoring the six, seven seasons worth of character growth. But I don't think she's necessarily saying strong as in strength. Yes, it's going to give the potentials super strength, which will help them fight, but it also gives them confidence. It gives them power. It gives them power emotionally. And I don't boil it down to that. I disagree with that in the article. I don't think, because Buffy knows it's more than that, as we have literally just talked about. She knows it's way more than just being strong. It's strong mentally, emotionally, and having that confidence and the ability to fail if needed and make mistakes, but then, you know, make bad mistakes and just deal with your consequences. What do you think? I completely agree because in the sense of watching season seven, you do see mm-hmm. early, well, you see like fun Buffy, yeah. right? You know, she's like, I'm gonna, you know, do the whole like Slayer and like halftime, like, you know, care guardian for my sister and stuff like that. And I have a job. And so she yeah. she's still holding on to humanity. But then when everything happens with the first and Caleb, you're right. She does take on that very militant role and being like, to keep people alive, I need to block out all emotion and be distant from everyone just so that everyone could, you know, become strong up. But then, like you said, when she starts having those speeches, like we start seeing later on the emotion coming yeah, in. Yeah. And you see the, you see a Buffy coming back. You see the Buffy that we've mm-hmm. known all along mm-hmm. come back because she realizes, I can't be this way. I can't be that strong female that mm-hmm. everyone sees on TV mm-hmm. where I'm 100% militant and blocking all emotion and the best fighter in the room. I am human. I have emotions. I am imperfect. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have to make hard choices and those decisions 
gnaw at me every day, but that's what makes me me. That's what makes me human. Yeah, and she is one hell of a woman. I do have to say, like, there's a quote from that article that I want to read out because I just, and it was from the end, I just loved it so mm-hmm. much about how he, they say, Buffy and her friends are all played with a presence, and this is talking about the show in general. So the show in general saying, Buffy and her friends are all played with presence that places their larger-than-life characteristics side by side with their all-too-human frailties. Mm-hmm. The direction, the score, the cinematography, the acting, and above all the writing helps to make Buffy the Vampire Slayer an engaging and thought-provoking adventurer through its seven-year run, able to keep all of its characters, especially Buffy Summers, human. Yes. And I love yep. that. And that's why I was saying Buffy is not just a powerful woman. She's a powerful human being. Yep. Is so empowering. I'm trying to think now, I, since Buffy, I can't think of another um, series that has such a well-rounded female lead character that you're just so drawn mm-hmm. to. I know you're, you're tired. I'm beyond tired. I'm beyond scared. I'm standing on the mouth of hell and it is going to swallow me whole. And it'll choke on me. We're not ready. They're not ready. They think we're going to wait for the end to come, like we always do. I'm done waiting. They want an apocalypse. Or we'll give them one. Let's uh, talk about our top three favorite episodes of season seven. I'll go first, and it's going to be very easy. Touched. End of days chosen. Just watch these last, oh. la- watch those last three episodes. That's all you need. Watch them in order because that is epic uh, ending of season seven, the ending of this fantastic series. Just watch those last three episodes. Buffy was right that there is something being hidden at the vineyard and it's the cool sight. Yep. And then she kicks everyone's ass. And holy moly, because then it just like, it just keeps going up from there. And it's so amazing. So my three favorite episodes of season seven, I generally love all of season seven. I like how each story, each episode carries in, you know, so nicely into the next because they're all building Mm -hmm. on to building up to this epic ending. But my favorite ones are selfless because I love Anya's tale. Mm -hmm. And I love learning more about Anya as a character and what she does and how she changes. Mm Dirty Girls, mm-hmm. uh, because Faith is oh, back. Shit, yeah. We just had that epic. <laughs> 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 Things getting yep. real. Faith is yep. back. And um, you meet Caleb for the first time, and so then you're really creeped out, and then the final episode, Chosen. Because mm-hmm. I just I just love that episode. Just <sighs> so many good things, like people showing up, it's, you're all getting all pumped yeah. up, Buffy's speeches, mm-hmm. and that, like her two big speeches. And then I just, I absolutely love the scene, and I always get teared-eyed when it happens, when like everyone's going their oh separate God. way for the battle, and then you just have the, the four of them four. there. And the, Oh, I know, right? And you're like, and you're like, well, what are they gonna say? Are they gonna say they were like, I loved you, goodbye? And like when I first saw this for the very first time, I literally started crying. So I'm like, this is beautiful. Yeah. The fact that they're just like they act like they yep. were in high school, yep. just like any know? other and then, apocalypse, and, and, right? Right? And Giles is like, the world is uh, the world is yep. doomed, and walking yep. away, and you're just like, mm. yep, the perfect that's, way. Well, that's a homage to the first season. So yeah, because that's what he says. Uh, oh yeah, that is so perfect because it's like we all could die. We might not win. But, you know, let's have a laugh about it because that's Joss Whedon. That's how he's going to write this. And that's what those characters would do. They would never be all doom and gloom. That's not how they roll. They're going to they're going to be light. They're going to make light of the situation because if they die, yeah. they die. They, they've been here many, many times before. And I love it, too. It's such a perfect moment. 
Which leads us to the end of Buffy. The, the end, end of, Buffy. of Buffy. The end of the show. So it's a 23-year legacy. Whew. And the series, I agree with you, Jess. It's, it's, it's pretty much unfounded with the almost everything. Like, I almost am speechless sometimes when I try to articulate how wonderful this show is. But I think, you know, some of the shining moments that stands out to me, and I think overall, is that the series is wonderful, showing womanhood and transition so victim monster heroine villain girlhood womanhood and then subverting our expectations all along the way like you don't know what's going to happen willow becomes the big bad buff is banging spike you know and it's just like so many things are happening the female characters and like i said it proceeds into goes into angel as well they're given the best arcs Spikes is really great and interesting, but the women of Buffy and Angel are given the most wonderful stories. Buffy, Willow, Faith, Cordelia, Darla, because these women start as tropes. Yes, they all do. of those women start as tropes and then they become human. And <laughs> it's and you laugh, but it's just like that's exactly what happens. Or these archetypes, there's these tropes. All of all of these women, then they become these complex, fully rounded individuals. They become human. And I love that so much. And I think as you get older, that is something that you can really appreciate more. Cause when you're, you know, a teenager, maybe in your twenties, you're you yourself are not a well rounded individual so it's it's hard no, you're, you're not you're not you're cookie dough so you're <laughs> so you, have, you can't like fully, <laughs> fully relate to this you know and I just love it so much and it it nods to women negotiating power in a world that they're you know that wants to keep them powerless but they do that they become they yep. create their own identities they create their own destinies throughout all of this and one of the big bigger things that again as a teen and in my 20s didn't resonate as much with me and it's always like the ever ending like angel and buffy and spike and buffy or riley it's always about her romantic entanglements yeah but one of the most wonderful things about this show and people forget to talk about this is that the season the series ends and buffy is single and that is huge because that is saying yeah. that Buffy, Buffy's life and her destiny is more, is way more than a romantic journey. It's not even about those men. They were just like blips in the radar of her incredible journey in life. And she's only like 20 by the show, by the time the show ends. That is not her most important aspects of her life. So her adulthood was not marked by her romantic relationships. It was about her identity and her destiny. And again, as a teen or in my 20s, it didn't resonate with me, but I'm getting very close to my 40s with a career that is deeply important to me. So the fact that this show more focuses on that identity and destiny just makes it even more important to me and even more important, I think, in the grand scheme. Yeah, Buffy definitely subverted so many tropes and expectations. And I remember I, that I resisted this series for so you long. You did. For so long. I was like, I'm not watching Buffy. I'm not interested. I'm not into Sarah Michelle Gellar. And then when I watched it, like I said, at, when I talked about this in the first episode on Buffy, I was like, you know, in my 30s and just things about it resonated with me empowering moments and every time I watch this series I tend to watch it during some really big events going on in my life so I remember a while ago transitioning into a job role that was very challenging for me and I was being challenged in every direction and I just remember feeling so defeated and so down and I would watch Buffy and always get like pumped up later mm-hmm. and then I would I absolutely love this the power speech because I was just like mm-hmm. yes I there I have that ability within me to negotiate 
negotiate power for myself mm -hmm. and to really continue to show up and, you know, speak up for myself and, you know, not have my identity, not even just based on my relationship, but just based on my job, mm -hmm. right? And building my own identity for myself, mm -hmm. right? Because we even, like we just talked about, Buffy doesn't necessarily put all her identity into just being mm -hmm. a slayer. Mm -hmm. She is, you know, she is Buffy Summers. And so we see this series, it ages well. Like, and I know it's like some people say like, no, it doesn't, you know, like early 90s, 2000s, the themes age well. because they're timeless. And I think that's- That's what Joss Whedon does, man. <laughs> exactly. He is, he brings up timeless themes so we could watch this another 20 years and still relate to it. And still relate to the things that, you know, Buffy shows us what it's like to be a woman and have to be strong for everyone. And that's really indicating that constant struggle that women go through with that whole idea of emotional labor that we have to constantly and continue to always be strong for our friends and families and our lovers and that to you know show any kind of weakness means that you know we're failing in some way and that's not necessarily bad but it's also showing our humanity once again showing mm -hmm. that you know we as women are not drones we are humans and we can't always operate you know at 110 capacity all the time and also to like you said now in our 30s we can relate to the messiness of adulthood mm -hmm. and how imperfect it can be right we're just thinking Thinking like, you know, when we're younger watching this and seeing Buffy go through what she goes through, just like, oh, well, that's just because she just made some wrong choices, right? <laughs> and now we're just like, as adults, we'd be like, sometimes you can make the right choices that can still be pretty fucking messy at the end of the yeah. day. <laughs> and still means you still have to make ends yeah. meet. And at the end of the day, no matter how hard she struggles, she still always fights for the hu the normal human world. Mm -hmm. She always will battle to protect humanity and protect the world that she so much wants to show Dawn. Yep. I feel absolute catharsis every single time I do a rewatch of the show from season one to season seven. I do love how it ends. It's like I said, I think the gift ending at season five was the right ending for Buffy the woman, but for the world and the women of the world, Season seven is the appropriate ending because we all be all those that are going to become slayers become slayers. It's not only her. She doesn't have to be alone. We all can have slayer strength, not just physical, but yes. emotional and mental and yes. all of that. So fuck yeah. I wish that was real. But yeah, I love it. I love it so, so much. Those who can stand up will stand. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> Uh, and exactly at that moment when you're watching the show, you know it's like this young girl being beaten and she's like, hell no. Yes. And I was like, crying, yeah. crying. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the part where you make a choice. What if you could have that power? Now, in every generation, one slayer is born because a bunch of men who died thousands of years ago made up that rule. They were powerful men. This woman is more powerful than all of them combined. So I say we change the rule. I say my power should be our power. Tomorrow, Willow will use the essence of this side to change our destiny. From now on, every girl in the world who might be a slayer will be a slayer. Every girl who could have the power will have the power. Can stand up, will stand up. Slayers, every one of us. Make your choice. Are you ready to be strong? 
And now we've arrived at Spencer's final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our new sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're Spencer's, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or a good book. Yes, with a hot mug of delicious tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more. But what really stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky names. With Chai the 13th and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in home. I love coconut. And I'm currently obsessed with Screamsicle. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian listeners, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. Buffy came into my life when I was 14 years old. I have witnessed the journeys of all of these characters in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. As they grew, so did I. Still might become a blubbering mess. Sorry, folks. <laughs> uh, it's been in my life for 23 years. That means that it's been with me through all of my major life changes. High school, being a stupid teenager, college, you know, adulthood, now spinsterhood, and will remain there until my dying days, absolute dying days and my dying breath. It has brought me immense joy and comfort when I needed it most. On the podcast over the last two years, we have sung its praises for many of the landmark and genre changing ways, and some of it's been controversial. We don't need to get that, you know, go that deep into it. We've talked about it. We all know this. You can read many articles about this. Yes, the characters, the acting, the music, the score, the cinematography, the writing, the story arcs, the direction. We know this show is great and timeless. And I will fight the brilliance of this show to death. Like, nobody can tell me this show is not amazing. Its ability, even after 23 years, to still make me laugh, cry, and cheer is something unique, unforgettable, and I will always cherish. Joss Whedon took many, many different tropes and subverted them. We know this. Again, we've talked about this previously. We've talked about it today. But then he plays with them in his little Whedon verse. He deconstructs them. He recreates them to make his own, which is why his work is so powerful. And I love it so much. The feminine empowerment that the show gives to women is not overly dramatic, nor does it pander to people. Instead, he conveys it through characters' emotions and intelligent, incredible storytelling. It made the women human, not just strong female characters. Buffy is one hell of a woman and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show is absolutely everything to me. And that's it. That's the bottom line. And that's all I have to say. That's very powerful, Kelly. So what Buffy means to me, like I said, I resisted Buffy for the longest time because I felt like I was going to be betraying the love that I had for the movie so much. But I am glad, as I typically am, when Kelly wears me down. <laughs> and I eventually... <laughs> I eventually give it a shot. And I did. And I'm really happy that I did. I am so happy that this show is in my life. I, at first, was a little apprehensive because I didn't want something to replace Xena Warrior Princess because of how much that show means to me and how much that show got me through a lot of hard times in my life and has been with me throughout my adulthood. But Buffy complements that and goes the extra mile in the sense that I can obviously relate to a lot of the themes that are in the series throughout its entire run and whatever, what everything that Buffy 
Buffy goes through. And I have gone between loving characters and hating characters and re-loving them again. And I feel like every time I do is because at some point in my life, I'm in, I'm in some area of my life that I resonate with that character and their journey and what they're going through. I will always love the character of Willow. I think her journey to me is fascinating and it's so interesting. It's something I can really personally relate to. I love the character of Anya, Faith, like all the women, like Kelly said of the show, they're so complex and they're so wonderful and at times while they can be problematic they also show that complexity that as women that we are not always you know the 100% as perfect as we want to be or could be or can be right but we are flawed and that's okay and that's what this whole series is about right you could be the best fighter in the world you could be doing you could be doing the good work of ridding the world of evil but you're still imperfect at the end of the day and this show is important to me because a it is something that has been really positive in my life when I needed it it is something that has brought Kelly and I closer together which is really important to me and the many times that we can just relate over so many of the episodes that we watch and and seeing Kelly talk about the series and seeing her love and passion and you know even today in today's podcast when she talked about why season six is a good season she can she can talk me into these good <laughs> things that I can go back and re- revisit it so thank you so much Kelly for really introducing Buffy the Vampire Slayer into my life you are. because it has been life-changing oh, I'm so glad it's life-changing <laughs> <laughs> so that ends our final trip to Sunnydale we want to thank Dance of the Dead for our intro outro music Robeast and Brandon for his work on our promotional materials also to all you listeners. We want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com. We're on Facebook, Spinsters of Horror. Please also join our Facebook coven group and enjoy all kinds of exclusive content. You can also find us on Twitter at Horror Spinsters and Instagram at Spinsters of Horror. As well, please rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitchers, and Spotify, and any other podcasting app you listen to us. But please, if you could just leave us a nice little like five-star review on iTunes or just let anything to let us know how much you love us we really appreciate that <laughs> and a reminder we have merch please visit Public to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop we also have a donation button located on the shop page as well if you'd like to contribute to help us continue with this project Next month, we are changing up the medium of horror this time. We have done movies and television series. Now we're going to focus on some horror literature with the author, Grady Hendrix. Yes, we are breaking away from the horror norm and not going to talk about Stephen King. We wanted to talk about the work of Grady Hendrix to highlight lesser-known horror authors out there. The book up for discussion in September allows us to revisit our metal roots, and that is We Sold Our Souls. So until then, remember, the future of fear is female.